Welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. I'm your host, Nabil Hanan, Managing Director at NetSpy. This is a podcast sponsored by NetSpy as a place to share best practices and trends in the world of cybersecurity and vulnerability management. Portions of this interview will appear in print on the NetSpy executive blog. To find out more, go to www.netspy.com slash agent of influence. This is an episode in a series of interviews with industry leaders and security gurus. And it's a pleasure for me to have basically a celebrity in the security space, Jeff Williams. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nabil. How are you? I'm well. Jeff has more than 20 years of cybersecurity leadership experience as a co-founder and chief technology officer of Contrast Security. Previously, Jeff was the co-founder and CEO of Aspect Security, which was a successful and innovative application security consulting company that eventually got acquired by Ernst & Young. Jeff is also a founder and major contributor to OWASP, where he served as the global chairman for eight years and created the OWASP Top 10, OWASP Enterprise Security API, the OWASP Application Security Verification Standard, the Cross-Site Scripting Prevention Cheat Sheet, and many other widely and free open source projects. Jeff has a bachelor's degree from University of Virginia, a master's degree from George Mason, and a JD from Georgetown. You might be the first person with a JD on our podcast, Jeff. So <laughs> very excited to see that. Yeah, that was an expensive experiment. <laughs> so Jeff, let's get started. How did you get started with security? Uh, well, I started with computers in uh, you know the early 80s. And there wasn't a lot of documentation. It wasn't like it is now. It was very difficult. You had to learn everything on your own. And so I got into uh, security very early. I liked cracking copy protection schemes. So that was really fun for me. But I got into reverse engineering and sort of modding programs, uh, really kind of instrumentation, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I got into that very early in high school. I was a super geek. So I walked around high school with a stack of fanfold paper with a, you know, the assembly dump of a reverse engineered operating system. Because there wasn't any documentation. It just, wasn't, it just wasn't like it is today. There wasn't code you could go look at. So you had to kind of do with what you had. I'm suspicious now of your JD. I'm wondering if you got your JD to protect yourself from, from what you did as a child. <laughs> I'm hoping that the statute of limitations is run on that. <laughs> <laughs> but please continue. So anyway, like I had those skills. I went and I, I studied computer science in college and uh, I, I started out as a developer, but uh, I actually, my first job was on a highly secure system for the U.S. Navy. And uh, if you remember the Orange Book, it was a level B2 project, which is, you know, formal modeling and uh, is extensive security, uh, far beyond what we have in, in applications today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... I learned a lot about security there. I I sort of stepped away from development and uh, started on a security research and development project to move to a new kind of secure operating system called the compartmented mode workstations. And uh, they're sort of multi-level secure operating systems. So everything had a label on it, you know, whether it was top secret, secret, unclassified, they could process different levels of of, uh, information all at once. And uh, it is fascinating. That approach didn't really work. But it was fascinating, and uh, I kind of got into both the assurance side and the security feature side there. 
How did your experience with being a developer and just understanding how software worked help you with your security focus um, early on in your career? Well, I think it was critical. I mean, you know, ultimately all this stuff is software, whether it's an operating system or a router or whatever it is, it's all software. We say it's network security, but it's really just software. <laughs> and when application security was getting started, GE came, I was working at Exodus Communications at the time. And uh, GE came to us and said, hey, we like your data centers, but we need every line of code reviewed before it goes on the internet. This was like 2000 or 1999. Mm -hmm. So they were way ahead of the game, understanding application security. And so, you know, we said, yeah, we can do that. And nobody had any idea how to do that. <laughs> but uh, I was the, the guy who had, you know, sort of a lot of security experience and a lot of programming experience. And so uh, I started up one of the world's first application security teams. And we started doing all the standard services, you know, code review, pen testing, uh, threat modeling, security architecture, training. Uh, that's when I wrote WebGoat and started, mm -hmm. that was, I wrote it for the training classes we were giving because it's really boring to just, you know, do a class without hands-on examples. So I created a tool to help, you know, so anyway, that's sort of how I got into AppSec and uh, how that all started. One of the reasons I actually said that you were a celebrity was because I knew that you had started the WebGoat project. And um, myself, amongst many others, have used it to deliver training and also learn about security. So it's very exciting to speak to you. And I'm sure uh, you know a lot of our audience are familiar with WebGoat, so they'll be excited to hear that too. I'm frankly, I'm stunned that it's still around and people are still enjoying it and learning from it. I mean, it's been over 20 years since we put that thing together. And so it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of cool. I talk to a lot of people who say like, that's the reason they got into application security is because they started playing around with it and they had, they liked it. And so they, they kept going. So that's, uh, I think that's interesting. So Jeff, that's uh, really interesting. Can you give us some insight into some of the differences that you experienced going from development to consulting? Yeah, so I want to focus on one thing. It's really the knowledge of security defenses and security vulnerabilities that I think will help. And you actually have to study. You have to learn how defenses are supposed to work. Your job as security consultant in a lot of respects is to make sure that those defenses are in place and that they're working the way they're supposed to work, that they're not bypassable. You can't tamper with them. So understanding how they're supposed to work is critical. And I see a lot of consultants, they'll read a document that says, this is how it's supposed to work. And they assume that that's how it does work. And it's often not the case. <laughs> so, you know, I think having that sort of healthy skepticism is, uh, is really important. And then the other piece is you really have to understand how vulnerabilities work. And not just in theory. You actually have to work through them and exploit them and learn how they work. If you know about these vulnerabilities in theory, you're, you know exactly jack shit about them. <laughs> You really have to dig in and make sure they work. So you can use things like WebGoat to start to understand them. You should go back and recreate, you know, get old versions of, say, Struts 2 <laughs> and exploit expression language injection on there and redo the Equifax exploit for yourself. And it's not going to work the first time. Like you're going to have to experiment around and figure out how to make it work. That's how you, mm -hmm. that's, that's the job. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a bunch of other things but uh, I'll focus on, on those two things for now. No, absolutely. You know, I tell a lot of our 
consultants or the people that I meet who are starting off in cybersecurity consulting or application security consulting, the importance of being well-rounded and exposing yourself to different types of applications, different types of assessment techniques, etc. What advice would you have for people who are looking to kind of build a career in cybersecurity consulting or just in cybersecurity, you know, yourself having built and run a successful AppSec consulting firm, and then where you are today, um, what key piece of advice would you give them? Well, it's uh, so you know, it turns out I don't think I was really cut out to be a developer. I, you know, I think development takes an incredible amount of discipline. I tend to get bored a little bit quickly. Uh, so, you know, working on one piece of code for, you know, months or years, you know, it wasn't that exciting to me, but I really liked security because it allows you to, you know, work across the entire system. And I like the, so I like the breadth of it. And I also like as as a consultant, I like the opportunity to learn new things. And so, you know, by going to hundreds of clients over the years and learning about their business and their systems and, you know, providing the, the value that I could provide, but then, uh, you know, moving on to the next one was, uh, it was, it was exciting. And there's really, I think there's no better way to learn security because if, uh, you know, you're just working on one company's apps you're going to learn how they do stuff, but you're not going to learn very much about how the world works. And so by being a consultant, you can really see a whole bunch of different approaches to problems. And then as, as a consultant, I've, you know, if you think of it like the honeybee kind of going around and pollinating best practices across different companies, I mean, consultants serve that role in, in the ecosystem of, of IT. And you know, that's what we did. And then we started sharing it at OWASP to try to you know, create a common source of, of pollen for everybody to share in. Because uh, I think the whole world benefits when, you know, everybody can start with the same knowledge base. Yeah, I think having that natural sense of curiosity and also the determination to be able to exploit things and try things out is very important quality to have as a person, especially if you're going to go into application security consulting. I've heard it called that uh, security DNA. Mm-hmm. And I, I've hired a lot of consultants over the years. And like, some of them, some people have it Correct. and some people just, just don't. I've seen, you know, I hired a guy from the NSA and uh, this, this guy was amazing. His, his instincts were incredible about how things were going to break. But honestly, other people, you could show them a partially open door and they would never figure out how to walk <laughs> through it. I mean, it's just. It's just there. I think the part of it is instinct and part of it is just the character of the person and, and how they think uh, in, in general. Yeah. I will say, uh, I just wanted to follow up. I, I will say, uh, you know, learning how to write up vulnerabilities is almost as important as being able to find them. And uh, I'm about to write another article at, on LinkedIn about how to do that. But okay. it's actually incredibly important to be able to communicate the, your findings and get people to do something, to take action. Mm-hmm. I, I read so many vulnerability write-ups that are just so bad. They're super <laughs> technical. They don't describe the risk. They're, I mean, they're, just, they're really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So I had a I had a sort of a boot camp where I taught my consultants like this is how we write up everything. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's important to be able to communicate because ultimately your work uh, kind of goes to waste if you can't effectively communicate with others what you found and the importance yeah. of what you found. Yeah, you might as well just go over in the corner and uh, be happy that you found <laughs> something. It doesn't matter; you're not making any difference. Agreed. Uh, you you started OWASP at around the same time I think as when you started Aspect Security. 
Uh, can you share with us, you know, why that was the case and what happened to be some of the sort of side effects and benefits uh, that you got from being from creating the OWASP Foundation? Yeah, so OWASP was uh, was just getting started when I got involved. So it was a mailing list and they were working on something called the OWASP Guide. And uh, there were a few conversations about creating a, a kind of an online training environment. And they were going to call it Web Maven. And I, I already had this, uh, you know, this training application that became WebGoat. I'd already built it and I was using it. And I was like, well, why don't I just contribute this? And then, you know, we could... Mm-hmm just have a successful project. And that was fantastic. And so, you know, my little company got a ton of attention for that. Uh, it, cause it sent all the right messages about us as consultants that said, Hey, these guys know their stuff. It, they're passionate. They're trying to do good for the community and share their knowledge. And so it, it helped us punch way above our weight. You know, we were just a tiny little company, mm-hmm. but we got all this attention and we were getting meetings with all these big financials to help them with their app site programs. So it was really, it was, it was a fantastic experience. And then later that year, uh, this was 2002, I had this idea for, I saw, actually, I was going around to government agencies and uh, talking to them about application security, because I'm here in DC. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were all, the reaction was almost always the same, like, "Mm, yeah, sort of understand what you're saying, but I'm working on the SANS top 20 right now. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, crap, we need a top 10 for our own. This light went off and I was like, Okay, we're just gonna we're gonna build that, and so a couple of weeks later we we had you know top ten just based on our work, just based on our little data set. But it was from our perspective we wrote the first OS top ten, and yeah, it ended up being pretty good. It's been uh, you know eighteen years now, and they they've brought in you know lots more data. We made it much more scientific, but you know it's still essentially the same top ten, and so that was also really good for the business. And uh, you know it's. We didn't commercialize it. We just, you know, there, I think there's a tiny little thing in the front that says, uh, you know, acknowledge contributions from Aspect. It's, uh, it was, you know, just very good for our business. Uh, and so I, I, I adopted this philosophy of, you know, doing well by doing good. And I, I stand by that. I, you know, we, at contrast, we do a lot of open source projects uh, and try to release a bunch of things so that people can use them. No, that's... That's really great to hear. And of course, it, it gives a lot of insight into an organization, the culture, and also the technical capabilities of an organization when you start publishing and, and open sourcing a lot of your work. Uh, it's really uh, a great way to market yourselves, but, but very differently. You can spend that money doing other marketing activity, but this really kind of establishes you from the thought leadership perspective, which has is, which is clearly worked well for you and your team. Well, to all the marketing folks that are out there, I think your instincts are really wrong here. I think your instincts <laughs> are going to be to, you know, make a Super Bowl ad or, you know, buy magazine ads or, or whatever. And those things are super expensive. Those booths and conferences are absurdly expensive. And imagine taking those resources and building something cool that the people of the world can use. Uh, it, it's a really powerful way of getting your message out. And I think even CEOs and CIOs, like their instincts are wrong here. They're like, well, if I build IP, I'm not giving it away for free, mm-hmm. but it's wrongheaded. It's, you don't have to give away your core IP, but you can give away a, a lot that sends fantastic messages about your company. And uh, you know, that's why at, at Contrast, we made our community edition, which is really full strength. I asked RASP and SCA for, everybody, for, you know, for one app, make it totally free forever. 
No, that's that's great. So let's talk about I asked a little bit. You know, how did the idea get incepted, and um, why did you decide to pursue it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, after years of doing code reviews and pen tests uh, for companies and trying to use static and dynamic analysis tools, uh, manual pen test proxies, and, and so on. It's all very frustrating, right? It's slow, and the results are not fantastic uh, on a number of dimensions. And I was just having trouble getting our customers to succeed in their application security programs. Like, you can, you can use it on a few apps and, you know, get some results and fix some vulnerabilities, but it's a lot of work to get there. And I always had this idea that if we could get inside the app and like, you know, think about when you're doing, we, we always did pen tests and code reviews at the same time. So we, you know, read the code and test a little bit, read the code. And we're trying to figure out what, what's actually happening inside the running application. And so uh, I did this paper at Black Hat a number of years ago that, uh, that talked about Java enterprise rootkits. And the idea was, you know, what could a malicious developer do? inside a major financial enterprise. And it's pretty terrifying. Uh, everything in that paper is still totally valid. <laughs> so you can start, it's a Java enterprise rootkits. But one of the techniques that I looked at was like, what if they used instrumentation? And you can dynamically instrument an app from within that same app. So I was like, what if they just wrote a little bit of code, uh, you know, deployed it as a test case or as, a, you know, as part of an application? It could actually instrument the application, do something malicious, and then uninstrument that application. And, and it just would, you know, the, the, uh, the attack would disappear. The code would never exist anywhere except for inside running memory. And so it was just, it was an interesting, you know, sort of diversion, but it got me thinking about instrumentation and could we use that for good? And I, it, it struck me, as like, that's a way of getting inside the running application and watching it run. And I realized uh, I could watch a SQL injection vulnerability from soup to nuts. I could see the data come in, could track that data through the application. I could see it get combined into a SQL query, and I could see that query then get sent to the database. And I could check back on that path to see, you know, did this thing, did this data go through the right defenses? And if you see that path, if you see data come in and go into a query without being escaped or parameterized, that's pretty good evidence that you've got a SQL injection vulnerability. I mean, you've essentially proven it. And it's much stronger argument than you'd get from SAST or DAST. And so I started playing around with it. And I, was, I tested on WebGoat because that's what I had handy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just remember the first time I saw the, I, you know, I, I found the SQL injection in WebGoat without doing anything with just, you know, just adding this agent and then just using the application normally. And it's all log files, right? There's no UI, there's no console or anything. It's just log spitting out. Bah, 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 bah. And then I see this thing that says like SQL injection detected. I'm like, wow. And it, that magic has stayed with me to this day. It's amazing to watch instrumentation work. It's, it's like finding all, all this fantastic information out of your application without uh, any extra work. Yeah, and I have actually done, as you're aware, um, many I asked uh, demos for customers. And honestly, that is the light bulb. That is the aha moment with customers is when you can show them, look, I'm just launching an application and I'm interacting with it normally without doing anything malicious. Yeah. But all of a sudden on the side, there's a pop-up that says, hey, you know, critical vulnerability detected. And customers go, wow, it was that quick, that easy. 
and also kind of seamless from the development perspective, right? It happens in the background and it happens in real time. Exactly. And um, you don't have to have any security background or security awareness to be able to do this. Um, just to clarify for the audience, we're talking about IAST, which stands for Interactive Application Security Testing. Uh, go check it out. Um, Jeff, you actually did a fun project uh, that, that is open source called Noisy Cricket as, <laughs> as part of uh, kind of proving out the, the kind of the strengths and weaknesses of static analysis, dynamic analysis, IAST, and uh, especially leveraging it against the OWASP benchmark. Can you share with us a little bit about that project? Because I think that's a fun one. Yes, I'll start with a benchmark because I think it's a really valuable project. So these guys at OWASP decided that they didn't really know what static tools were good at and bad at. So they wanted to measure it. And to do that, they created this huge test suite. It's almost 3,000 test cases, half of which are false positives and half of which are true positives. And you could run a static tool against it and then get the report from the static tool and then feed it into the benchmark and it will score the report and create a, you know these nice charts that show you exactly what the strengths and weaknesses are. And it's really, it's a pretty low bar, actually. Uh, it's not a, none of those tests are particularly difficult, but what is surprising is how poorly the static tools do, particularly on things like uh, data flow problems, like all the injections, uh, command injection, SQL injection, uh, XSS, LDAP injection, all, all of them. So in response to that, the static vendors, uh, started changing their products to do better against the benchmark, which was kind of, that was the, like kind of one of the intents of the, the benchmark project was to set a bar so that products could get better. And the strategy that the static tools chose was to just not miss any true vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. but basically kind of not care about false positives. And so you see all their scores, they go like kind of up and to the right on the, on the chart, which is sort of upping the true positives, but adding false positives. Correct. And I got in a little, kind of little flame war with a guy at Fortify who was really touting their false negative numbers, basically their, their true positive numbers. They're saying, look, we found all the vulnerabilities. But, and I was like, well, who cares about that? And so I was on a plane flying home from the West Coast, and I, I wrote a tool called Noisy Cricket that finds all the true positives without caring about false positives. And so basically, it, it says any place you use SQL, that's SQL injection. Any place you use uh, you know, encryption, that's a weak encryption. Like it just, <laughs> it just <laughs> reports all the results. And when you look at the results of Noisy Cricket, they're not that different from what the static vendors are actually producing. Uh, and so it's kind of a joke, but it's trying to get you to, dem- it's trying to demonstrate that finding all the true positives without caring about false positives is useless. It's zero value. Mm -hmm. The only value happens when you find true positives with low false positives. That's how you measure the value. And that's how the benchmark project scores tools. It doesn't just score the true positives. That would be dumb. It scores both. And uh, so hopefully people get that message is you, it, it has to be a balance and static tools have never been able to improve in that direction. They can, only, they can improve, you know, they can bias their findings towards finding true positives. They could bias it towards, you know, the other way, towards only reporting true vulnerabilities, but they can't go the right direction, which is sort of mm-hmm. up and to the left. I mean, I want to make sure it's clear, too, that there is value in static analysis. I want our audience not to feel like we're antagonizing static analysis altogether. 
you know, I asked is a great solution because of the, the nature of the analysis and the fact that it produces results that are not very noisy. So it produces very low rates of false positives. Uh, but, you know, static analysis by nature, you know, out of the box from, from my experience, and I'm sure it's your experience too, out of the box, it is extremely noisy and, uh, you know, does show a lot of false positives. But there is the opportunity to fine tune and customize your static analysis capability. It's just a lot of work yeah. uh, to get it to a point where you're comfortable with, uh, with the reducing false positives to an acceptable rate. But, you know, there is value in both. But that's why I asked really shines against static analysis techniques because of the low false positive rate. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, for certain use cases, uh, static analysis is exactly the right tool. If you're a security researcher in particular, and you're tasked with, you know, finding new and interesting kinds of vulnerabilities, static can be a real powerful tool. You know, if you get good at writing custom static rules, uh, you can search your code for things that are custom to your code. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, so Jeff, tell us a little more about Contrast. Tell us about your some of your products and the company and, and anything interesting that you're doing that you can share. Yeah. So, Contrast, uh, we build a DevSecOps native platform for application security. And it's all built on this idea of using instrumentation to get inside the application to both find vulnerabilities and identify and prevent attacks in runtime. So we not only do IAST, we also do what's called software composition analysis, where we analyze libraries for uh, either a bad license or known security vulnerabilities. We also do something called RASP, or runtime application self-protection, which is the same instrumentation technique, but now it's applied to detecting attacks at, in, in production and giving you that visibility, but also then preventing those attacks from exploiting vulnerabilities which is very different than the WAF approach, you know, sort of sitting at the perimeter. Uh, Contrast Protect, our RASP product, works from inside the application. And so it has some of the same benefits that uh, Contrast Assess, our IAST uh, product, does because it's, it's sort of more accurate. It's closer to the data. It's closer to the vulnerability. So you, you can be much more accurate with uh, finding and preventing exploit. That's excellent. Well, thank you. Um, I do want to shift gears. I like uh, asking our guests about non-security related topics as well. And I know that you are very passionate about uh, basketball. So can you share with us um, <laughs> about your current involvement? And I know you play uh, actively uh, about where you play and, and your league. Yeah, sure. You know, I've been playing for uh, quite a long time, but this is a really bad time for basketball. None of the courts are open. You can't find a game, and I'm not sure mm -hmm. I'd play if they were open because it's a little date. You know, it's a lot of contact with uh, mm -hmm. with basketball. So um, mostly, I've just been shooting around in my driveway uh, for practice at this point. <laughs> but uh, I do play quite a lot. I'm in a, a league in DC, which is uh, you know, they call it the Legends League, and it's a bunch of DC, Baltimore. You know, really, there's a couple NBA players in there and uh, famous famous folks, uh, all 50 and over. So uh, it, it's an honor to play with those guys. And then I also uh, travel to, uh, they call it the Masters Basketball Association. So it's another 50 and over league, but it's, uh, you know, they have teams from all over the country. They come together and play. And uh, last, uh, last year in Florida, we came in second. Uh, we, we had some injuries, so we were down to, really we were down to four, four guys by the end and the other guys, they, they brought a bigger squad. But we learned a lesson there. If you're going to play in 50 and over, you got to bring more people because you're going to lose some along the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, congratulations regardless. That's a, that's a big achievement. That's just a lot of fun. It's not, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a lot of fun. Do you have any, do you guys have any plans on when you think realistically you guys can play again as a team? It's really hard to know. I'm, I'm just hounding the guys to stay in shape. So I'm, I'm here training <laughs> like I'm in prison. I mean, I, I, I've been uh, riding the Peloton and lifting and, and uh, shooting and all, but there's some other guys that basically were like, oh, holiday, I'm taking off. And so I know at least one player is up 40 pounds <laughs> just from COVID. I'm like, how are you going <laughs> to come back from losing 40 pounds? That's the COVID, the COVID 40 is what he has. But anyway, so uh, yeah, we got some work to do, but I'm going to be ready. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time and joining us today uh, in conversation. It was very insightful and I'm sure our guests are going to love all of your experience, insight, and learning more and more about Contrast, IAST, and, and the different projects you've been involved in. I hope that once things open up again, we can actually sit down in person and have more of these conversations. Yeah, that'd be great. And if anybody wants to reach out uh, on Twitter, I'm at Planet Level. And uh, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. This has been an Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. Portions of this interview can be found in print on the NetSpy Executive blog. And please subscribe for future episodes of Agent of Influence at www.netspy.com slash agentofinfluence.